0: First and foremost, I think it's really important that people's pain is acknowledged. And sometimes that does take a direct question. So sometimes you do have to ask, are you experiencing pain? Because you won't know by looking at someone and that might sound like an obvious thing, but you could just move on to whatever you think you can see and you can't always see pain or even its effects on people's body and their psyche. If someone's having a difficult pain day, the conversation that they have in a pharmacy might make them explore better care or might turn them off from even the care they have available to them. Hi, I'm Julia Jones, CEO of Pain Australia, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia focusing on pharmacy management and ownership. The PBCN Podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way.
1: It's National Pain Week and for this episode we are speaking with Julia Jones, CEO at Pain Australia. Following nearly a decade in politics, Julia has recently taken on a new and very different challenge at Pain Australia. There's one thing she knows well, it's the mechanics of politics, how to go about speaking with, engaging and influencing people within the political sphere. I'm speaking with Julia today to hear more about what pain is, how it affects people living with chronic pain and the role pharmacists working in the community can play to help them live better and fuller lives. Here's Julia. Julia, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you're happy to, let's just jump straight into it because I know that you are new to Pain Australia. So tell us about your role at Pain Australia and how you came to be part of the team and the cause.
0: Daniel, it's great to be here and I'm I'm really excited that six weeks ago I joined Pain Australia and my job as the Chief Executive Officer here is to run a little organisation and our our main aim is to get the voice of consumers and the sector who are working on pain and trying to improve people's lives who are living particularly with chronic pain and to get that into the public domain and to policymakers and politicians so that we can get an improvement to... um, the one in five Australians who are living with long-term pain.
1: There's a lot to get your head around when you first start a job, particularly in a leadership role like you have. And I would love for you to connect the dots for us. What does pain mean for you? And and do you have much of a personal connection to pain in the, in the family or, or personal experience?
0: I definitely grew up as a co-carer for my grandmother um, throughout my teenage years. And she lived with arthritic pain. So I've seen how it how it affects the elderly um, and their self-esteem and uh, willingness to engage with life but what I've learned since coming here is that pain is not something that just affects older people pain is something that affects every age group and uh, it's been really fascinating to learn everything I have. So, I've been reading about the life of Dr. Michael J. Cousins, who was the first specialist for pain, for the pain specialisation in Australia, who studied overseas and brought that back to our nation. Australia has a lot to be proud of in pain. our specialisation is through the College of Anesthetists because pain as a, as an issue to be dealt with was first dealt with under that specialisation. But now it's many other um, specialists who then train further to become pain specialists as well. And um, it's been a real really interesting read to find out about the determination that he brought to changing the way that pain is managed around the globe, actually, and to um, put on the agenda that there's almost like a human right to having your pain treated, living in permanent and long-term pain and not having any treatment really is against people's um, basic dignity and human rights. It it limits life. And so our idea as a a sector is that pain must be dealt with um, by whatever means improves pain for you. And generally that means multiple ways at once, whether that be through infusions of uh, medication, whether that be through... Um, physiotherapy, whether that be through the psychological treatment of how to cope with pain and how to flourish despite having pain. Um, There's a lot of training involved to get people to a place where they are living their best lives and and we're very committed to getting that out there to people.
1: I think it's a good point you make about the, the human right and the dignity attached to living without pain or at least managing it as best as we can You mentioned that pain, it's not just limited to older people. So tell us about Pain Australia as an organisation. What does the organisation do and how does your work impact the lives? As you mentioned, the one in five people in Australia who are living with pain, how does your work impact the lives of those people who are living with chronic pain?
0: So Pain Australia was set up Um, by Dr Michael Cousins and many of the specialist people around him in about um, 2010. And the purpose of this organisation, which still is, is to get the changes to policy which are required, get the changes at the very highest level of government so that pain treatment can be on the agenda, on the agenda of our health system and on the agenda of every Australian who might find themselves in a situation of long-term pain. So that's, um, that's our remit. How we've done that is that we had the, another first for Australia. There was a National Pain Summit, a symposium at Parliament House in 2010. And from that meeting, the decision was taken to set up Pain Australia. And Pain Australia goes out into the marketplace of ideas and the marketplace of policy and the, and the way that we make decisions about our health system in this country and make sure that pain is on the agenda. Now, we know that pain is caused by many conditions, some of them chronic. We also know that pain can exist after a condition has gone. So the brain can basically get into a system where it's a little bit glitched and the pain continues on. And this is very real pain for the people who are experiencing it, but the underlying condition may have resolved. So pain as an issue in and of itself is on the agenda. You may have seen pain clinics popping up, which is our tertiary level pain care top of the tree, shall we say, for the hardest cases. And in a pain clinic, you'll see various different things on offer. In a pain clinic, there'll be a little surgery, right, where where maybe injections are made into knees and hips and things. You will find that there's a physio room where people are learning to engage with their body despite the pain and how to lean into it and how to live with it and keep on moving because fear of injury and fear of pain, can stop people from living. You'll see a room where people are sitting in chairs looks a little bit like when someone spends a whole day having a blood transfusion or an infusion, and they're having maybe a ketamine infusion, something like that. Then you've got your standard clinical rooms where people sit and talk to the doctors about what they need. Maybe they're suffering migraine, maybe they have joint pain, maybe they have fibromyalgia. And some of these people are quite young. And young people in extended pain that's probably the hardest area it's probably the most difficult area to live with because we see their whole lives ahead of them what can we do as a society to get these people going to the best that they can live so they're living their best lives
1: Julia, you come to Payne Australia with quite a unique set of skills and experience including nearly a decade in politics and I wonder on this end of the microphone whether there's a little bit of fun in being able to lobby the politicians from the other side of the fence. You've mentioned politicians a couple of times but what is it that you want those who are still politicians to, to, to know about and act on on behalf of the people that you're advocating change for?
0: actually very similar in a way politically to the depression conversation that we've had mental health discussion we've had over the past couple of decades and I know as a politician I've been on the receiving end when I was in the parliament of lots of discussions about depression and I learned a lot as a politician about that kind of condition and now we have to go on a similar journey about pain and we have to take people from a position where sometimes they wonder if the person's making it up and there's some taboo and some stigma around that to a place where we have more open conversations just like we've tried to do with mental health over the last few years so we have our are you okay day maybe we have to have are you in pain day (laughs) so I think there is definitely a public journey for us to go on and and the policy makers and the politicians they come on the same journey with the rest of the community and as a result are able to imagine and envisage solutions and improvements to our system that's I guess that's what human development's about. It's about we find things that make life better for people, then we have to have the conversation so that then we can see what needs to change.
1: It's a good analogy or or, or contrast, so to speak, with mental health about how the conversations have changed and and shifted, especially around how mental health and, and obviously pain it's not a choice and it's not always an, an easy fix to just just change it and, and you'll be right. So I think it's a, a it's a good comparison to make. Now, I wanted to ask a little bit more about the experience of people who actually need to live with pain. And I know that you're not necessarily somebody who personally lives with chronic pain, but in your position, you must have in the last six weeks or so come to understand it quite deeply from the people whose stories you're hearing every day and who are the, the driver and the inspiration of the work that you do there at Pain Australia. What does pain look like in the lives of people who suffer with chronic pain? And it'd be great if you could give us some examples of maybe some people you've met or you've spoken to or worked with in your time at Pain Australia and, and, and really bring home for us about how it impacts their daily lives.
0: Well, I actually do have a chronic pain condition, but it's not probably the most common. <laughs> I, um, I have an injury in my spine from um, falling off a chair in high school, which will never go away. And it's, it's only a, um, it's not a pain I feel all day, every day. This is another thing about chronic pain is often, it's something you live with over many years, but it may not impact you every single day or it may. It's an incredibly individualized experience Someone with acute fibromyalgia, for example, which is um, which is a, a condition in the nerves all over your body where you feel a lot of pain, you know, may really find every single action of their body painful. I, I, I know a nineteen-year-old here in Canberra, a young man who is suffering like that, and um, you know, it's it's. It, it's all about what can we do with and for that person so they can get on with having a fulfilling and a meaningful life. And I guess um, you, you start out life with all sorts of dreams and aspirations and, we, and we, you know, we need to work out what what the new dreams and aspirations are. Someone once told me it can be like going on a journey to a different country. You thought you were getting on the plane and going to England and you end up in America, <laughs> you know. It's, it's about adapting the life that you are living and so many things in life are like that but you know we all know people who experience um, arthritis that's one of the conditions you you know you you can have joint pain and inflammation which affects um, certain movements and actions Um, other people like someone I know who's recovering from a double knee operation at the moment is um, they have their good days and their bad days you know and if pain goes on for more than three months it's classified as chronic pain but it can be all sorts of different types of pain. So the response has to be quite individualised as well. It would be nice if I could say, well, the solution to pain is a particular device or a particular tablet, but that's not the answer. The answer is literally a multidisciplinary pain management plan that suits the person. It's a bit like we're doing in education with kids these days where we say, What is this child's best way of learning? How do I deliver their education to them in a way that is good for them and they can take up as much of it as possible? Same thing with their pain relief. What is the best way of getting the best out of this person's body? And we need the advice and information of many different specialities and interest areas. And one of the things that individuals can do, even if they're not attending a tertiary pain clinic, is to get their medical involvement in their life Uh, getting all those medical personnel to speak to each other. So, uh, for example, if you're recovering from an injury and you've got long-term pain from it, you might want your physio to speak to your GP or you might want your GP to speak to um, your psychologist, you know. <laughs> and you need to get—we need to get these connections going. I don't think people always know that they're empowered to ask for those conversations to occur. And it can just be by email. You just say, "Could you please email my trainer and tell him which muscle groups we need to work on, etc." So we need to take control as much as we can each of our health journey. And um, it's one of the reasons I was so keen to talk to the Pharmacy Guild as well, because you are talking to and with and representing a group of people who have so much power in influencing people, and there'll be people coming into um, pharmacies every day who are experiencing pain, and sometimes you won't even know. So it's about encouraging people, not, not lecturing people, but we encourage them to get the most out of the healthcare that we have available to us.
1: It was probably remiss of me not to ask this question a little bit earlier, so I I kind of feel like we might be backtracking here a little bit, but let's see. You mentioned earlier about the pioneering work in understanding, diagnosing, and and treating pain, and so now we have so much more knowledge around pain. Julia, what do we know about what actually causes chronic pain in the body?
0: One thing we do know is that pain is actually sparked in the brain, but it it is... Via messages that come up through the body, just to put it in very blunt, everyday language. And um, it, it's a protection mechanism, but it, it isn't always totally accurate. Like a lot of things in our physical environment, the body can, can get a bit confused. It doesn't mean it isn't real. <laughs> it's definitely real and it's experienced, and that's where the whole um, stigma and the taboo around saying I'm in pain comes from. But one of the things that we that we now know is that sometimes the, the, the section of the brain producing the pain signal up and down the spine can get glitched and can start to produce the pain signal without there being really a very um, correct stimulus for that uh, for that signal. So the person lives with a lot of pain, but it's not something that actually can be taken away. And there's actually a lot more for us to discover in this area. This is why we're still doing a lot of research. We've, we've just as a sector been through, a, we're going through a round at the moment of um, grants applications for research under the Medical Future Fund and um, that was set up you know, decades ago. And, and I'm so glad to see that because there's still much more to know. But sometimes, for example, people in chronic pain do have um, stimulators like uh, little devices put into their spine uh, to stimulate the spine so that it actually kind of distracts from the pain signal. So they, they are in a way fairly new devices of the last decade or two and I think we probably will get better and better at making those.
1: We spoke earlier about the kinds of issues that politicians need to understand. And you also just spoke about how health professionals need to be talking with each other and and people living with chronic pain are empowered to ask those professionals to talk to each other. One of those professionals clearly is pharmacists. And obviously, a lot of our listeners uh, are pharmacists or they're working in pharmacies or perhaps they're thinking about a career in pharmacy. You've also given us a really vital snapshot, I think, into a life lived with chronic pain. And this might help as you explain what it is that chronic pain sufferers need when they come into a pharmacy setting. As such, what is it that you want pharmacists to know to be better able to support their patients who are chronic pain sufferers in their communities?
0: Well, first and foremost, I think it's really important that people's pain is acknowledged. Um, And sometimes that does take a direct question. So sometimes you do have to ask, are you experiencing pain? Because um, you won't know by looking at someone. That might sound like an obvious thing, but you could just move on to whatever you think you you can see and you can't always see pain or even its effects on people's body and their psyche. Um, If someone's having a difficult pain day, the conversation that they have in a pharmacy might make them explore better care or might turn them off from even the care they have available to them. Um, People need to feel like they're not judged. They need to feel like what they're explaining is considered to be real. And I know, for example, with the real-time prescription monitoring we now have, sometimes people get asked if their medications are correct or they are questioned as to whether they um, have been given the right script. Uh, And that can be a really stressful experience for someone who is in acute or or long-term pain and needs that pain relief or is hoping to get it and thought they were about to get it when they walked into the pharmacy. So the level of kindness that is shown to people who are living with chronic pain is really important. And on top of that, um, I think encouragement to explore more options because we know, for example, that allied health is a really important part of pain management. It doesn't mean that someone won't need tablets or won't need a prescription to be filled, but that sometimes with additional and and supporting that person with more and, and, and exploring more areas of pain management, they might actually not need as much pain medication, but the person has to want to seek it. And in order to help them to want to seek it, they have to feel respected and encouraged rather than judged and um, dismissed.
1: I love that simple first step of just asking a question of patients in the community and just showing kindness and, and respect and encouraging them. I think that's a great start for pharmacists and pharmacy staff. But overall, there really is a lot there for pharmacists to be aware of when they're dealing with patients in the pharmacy. But what about those pharmacy managers who are managing staff? What can they do to not a, not only improve the lives of people living with pain, but also support their staff to do the same in those pharmacy settings?
0: A couple of weeks ago, we did some media about some statistics that had come out from the Australian Bureau of Statistics showing that about half of men and two in three women, pain interferes with their work. These are the latest statistics from, um, I think it was last year's Bureau of Statistics um, National Data Collection. And what is, like, it it just astounds me that we don't talk about very often pain in the workplace, given that it really must be impacting about half the people you look at every day. So if you're looking around your pharmacy, maybe half of the, the men and maybe two thirds of the women have pain interfering with their work. So that's where a conversation about pain, if it's appropriate and if it can be had, is really positive and to lead by example. So if you as a manager experience pain, to talk about it and to make it a non-taboo subject is a really good idea so that, you know, you know if someone's having a bad day because even someone who experiences pain on a regular basis may have a good day and a bad day. And it's really important for everyone to understand, you know, someone's tasks might be able to be slightly amended if they're having a difficult day or they just might need that little bit of extra encouragement. But I think the most important thing is to make your work environment somewhere where people don't feel judged for coming in pain or for needing to address their pain. We are whole people. You can't just take your pain off (laughs) when you walk in the door at work. If you've got pain, it's going to be with you and it needs to be managed as best as possible. I know in our workplace, I've... um, instigated some more wheat packs as well so that (laughs) when we come in and we're having bad knees or what have you we've got some options and I think just that um, open conversation that acknowledges the person's situation can go a really long way and go a long way to them looking for solutions.
1: And I'm sure you'd agree it's also just it's not an attitude of well you're just whinging because you're in pain and, and a lot of people are in pain or you're just whinging about pain so you can get out of doing some work right?
0: Well you know I understand where those kind of conversations have come from. But in reality, who would do that? (laughs) Most people want to do their jobs, want to do them well and want to do them comfortably. And so I think in the vast majority of cases, it's really important that we're careful not to fall into that kind of language because it actually just means that people won't feel that they can tell you what's going on for them. A little bit like our mental health conversations that we have. The same thing again with our uh, with our pain conversations. We need to ask open-ended questions and let people explain
1: where they're at. Agree, 100%. I think it's a great point. Julia, to finish off our conversation today, we are approaching National Pain Week in Australia. So it's a great time to be having this conversation, particularly with the pharmacy industry who are dealing and, and helping manage people's pain in their communities. And so I wanted to ask you, what is it that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today?
0: Thanks, Daniel. I would really like listeners to feel that they should talk about their own pain. And we know that many of your listeners will be in pain. Uh, even pharmacy owners can have <laughs> pain too. <laughs> and to be open about it um, and and help each other to, to find out what's available and to get the best care that you can possibly get, the best... Um, Pharmacy workers and pharmacists who are able to, you know, relate to people in the community are the ones who have experienced medical issues and do understand that that the human body doesn't always function the way we'd like it to. So I guess just embrace your uh, medical journey of your own and drawing it as a strength. Uh, not something to be ashamed of. We, we all have something that we're working through and that's called life.
1: Hear, hear. And what about resources, Julia? Does Pain Australia provide any resources that pharmacy staff may find useful? And if so, where can they go to access them?
0: At the Pain Australia website, which is just painaustralia.org.au, we have the National Pain Services Directory. And this is somewhere where you can put in your postcode and find out where the nearest um, tertiary pain clinics are. As I said, that's the top of the tree pain management, but it's a good place to start if you're dealing with someone who's in a lot of pain or has been in pain for a long time to make sure that they're getting the latest and the top-level pain management um, treatments and, um, and specialists. But also, at the at the less severe end, just to remind people, uh, and this is what we're putting a big effort into as well now, that um, you can get your pain dealt with by lots of different types of specialisations and, and, and allied health, and to encourage people to have a look at the whole spectrum of what might help them.
1: A very interesting chat. Julia Jones, CEO at Pain Australia, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and sharing with us and we sincerely hope that national pain week which is an initiative of chronic pain australia that it helps raise awareness and action for all those living with pain right across australia
0: thanks so much daniel and uh, let's let's hope we can break through the pain barrier as a nation and uh and get the very best out of our lives uh, whether we're in pain or not
1: Well, today's episode has been a very valuable insight into the experience of living with chronic pain. And this year's National Pain Week runs from July 25th to the 31st. It's an annual event raising awareness about chronic pain. And if you're interested in learning more about it or taking the National Pain Survey, you can find out more at nationalpainweek.org.au. And a final reminder, and encouragement to nominate yourself or a high-performing pharmacy that you know for the 2023 Guild Pharmacy of the Year, Nominations can be made in three categories. Excellence in business management, excellence in professional innovation and excellence in community engagement. And an overall winner is chosen from these category winners. You've got until Sunday the 31st of July to nominate. So don't let this opportunity pass you by. That's all we have time for today. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 102 of the PBCN podcast.
0: The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.